Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you tonight in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you don't mind, I want to get right down to business. If you get your copy of God's word, turn with me to Luke 10. Let me breathe a word of prayer and ask God's blessings over our time together. Then I want you to hear the reading of God's word and then we'll consider tonight what God will say to us out of what he has already said to us in his holy word. Our Father in heaven, we love you because you first loved us. You have demonstrated your love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together tonight publicly and corporately to worship you in spirit and in truth. We acknowledge that you are already here whether we feel you or not. But it is our prayer that you would manifest yourself to us in a life-changing way as your spirit makes plain for us the wisdom of your word. Help us tonight to lay aside all malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and slander so that as newborn infants we may crave the pure and spiritual milk of your word and grow thereby having tasted of your goodness. I pray, Father, that you would guide my thoughts, guard my heart, and govern my words so that everything I say would be consistent with sound doctrine. And as the word is explained, may Christ alone be exalted, we pray. Amen. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. I want to label the message the ultimate priority. The ultimate priority. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, they stopped in Bethany, a humdrum village filled with commoners and invalids. But amidst the misery, Luke focuses on one home that was buzzing with excitement. In that house, two women, two sisters, Mary and Martha are preparing a meal. By watching them, you would think they were doing something much more noble. And indeed, they were. They were preparing a meal for Jesus, who had accepted their invitation to eat and rest in their home. Picture the scene. Mary and Martha 
check once more to make sure the house was in order. And then they head to the kitchen. They unpack the groceries, they get out their utensils, and they begin cooking the meal. It is not long before the entire house is filled with a delicious aroma. Then suddenly there is a knock at the door. Oh no, whispers Martha, they're early. Mary says, don't worry about it. I'll welcome them in and make sure they're comfortable while you finish up. Mary greets Jesus and his disciples and seat them around the table. Martha sticks her head out of the kitchen long enough to say hello, apologize for the meal, being late, and promise everything will be done shortly. As they wait, Jesus and the disciples engage in casual conversation, but it doesn't take long before table talk turns into teaching time. And as Jesus begins to teach his disciples, an internal wrestling match takes place in Mary's heart and mind. Should she get out or sit down? While her mind debates, her heart decides to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, meal preparations have gone haywire. Martha now is frustrated, discouraged, and overwhelmed. When she peeks out of the kitchen again and sees her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha snaps. She walks forcefully into the room, interrupts the teaching of Jesus, and asks, am I the only one that thinks there's something wrong with this picture? Mary has left me in the kitchen to finish the work alone. Lord, make her get up and help me. Verses 41, 42 record Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This narrative is Brief, profound, and challenging. There are three key players in the drama, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And when we read or review this story, the quote-unquote sibling rivalry gets most of the attention. But Jesus is actually the star of this story. This is a pronouncement story. The point of the story is found in the words of Jesus. What do the words of Jesus in this text teach us? They teach us simply this tonight. 
that devotion to Jesus is the ultimate priority of Christian discipleship. That's the main idea. That's the dominating theme. That's the sermon in the sentence tonight. Devotion to Jesus is the ultimate priority of Christian discipleship. Oswald Chambers said it well, that Christianity is not devotion to a work or to a cause or to a doctrine, but to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. Devotion to Jesus is the ultimate priority of Christian discipleship. Let me walk you through the narrative and consider with me how the ultimate priority of Christian discipleship is unfolded in this passage from three perspectives. First, consider the ultimate priority displayed. The ultimate priority displayed. In the previous passage, a lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replies by telling his famous parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, the parable ends in verse 37 with Jesus giving direct application. You go and do likewise. Now in verses 38 through 42, we find if you will, the other side of Christian activism. The story of the Good Samaritan, in a real sense, says, don't just stand there, do something. Now the story of Mary and Martha says, don't just do something, sit there. Verse 38 begins the narrative. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. The village is Bethany, where Mary and Martha lived. Luke says, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. As Jesus visited the village, Martha showed him hospitality. This is no small kindness. Jesus was a popular but controversial figure who at times was turned away from cities. But Martha welcomed him into her home. That's a significant point. Do not draw conclusions about Martha from verse 40 without factoring in verse 38. Martha loved Jesus. Martha believed in Jesus. It was her joy, her privilege, and honor to welcome him into her home for rest, for fellowship, for meal. Verse 39 says that she had a sister called Mary. She, we know from the Gospels, also had a brother named 
Lazarus, whom Jesus will raise from the dead in John chapter 11. But Lazarus is not mentioned in this story. The focus of this story is on Martha's sister, Mary. The focus is on Mary in our text, but Mary, unlike Martha in the text, does not speak. In fact, her appearance in the text is just found in one singular act. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. In fact, Mary's epitaph can be succinctly stated in those simple terms, at the Lord's feet. Every time we meet Mary in the scriptures, she's in the same place, at the Lord's feet. She was at the Lord's feet at the death of her brother, Lazarus. John 11, verse 32 says, when she arrived at the place where Jesus was, she fell at his feet and said to him, Master, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. We see her as well at the feet of Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 3, where she takes a bottle of ointment and while at his feet, she pours the ointment on him and wipes his feet with her hair. This is the third time now in our text where we find Martha at the feet of Jesus. And I submit to you that this is the definitive picture of Mary at the feet of Jesus. In John 11, overwhelming grief drove her to the feet of Jesus. In John 12, overflowing gratitude drove her to the feet of Jesus. Here in our text, we find her at the feet of Jesus by deliberate choice. That's Jesus' language. She chose to sit at his feet. She was there on purpose. At his feet, friends, is the posture of discipleship. It's the place of discipleship. It's the picture of discipleship at his feet. Acts 22 verse 3 tells us that Paul was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. She sat at his feet to listen to his teaching. The scandalous part of this passage is that rabbis did not accept women as disciples. So when Jesus started teaching, Mary should have made her way back to the kitchen. Feel the tension of the text. Instead of making her way back to the kitchen, two scandalous acts take place. Number one, she sits at his feet to listen to him teach. Maybe even more scandalously, Jesus didn't make her get up. 
There is intentional tension between this text and the previous text. The parable of the Good Samaritan is to make it plain that the kingdom of God is not racist. It embraces Samaritans. It embraces Gentiles. Now we see that the kingdom of God is not sexist. It embraces women. We see Mary here sitting at the feet of Jesus. In fact, over the years of church history, Mary has become, as it were, a kind of patron saint for the contemplative life. Monastics point to this text to justify living in total spiritual concentration, separated from the daily affairs of life. But that is not what this text is intended to teach. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus says to his disciples that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We maximize kingdom influence by godly engagement, not by spiritual withdrawal. So this text is not telling us to disconnect from the world. This is a statement about our devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus is displayed by sitting at his feet to hear his word. Donald Whitney wrote, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There simply is no Christian life apart from a diet of the meat and milk of God's word. To become a Christian, you need the word. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 declares good news. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then There is a series of dilemmas that prevent lost people from calling on the Lord for salvation. How can they call upon him of whom they do not believe? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? And how shall they be able to preach unless they be sent? Romans 10, 17 then says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. To become a Christian, to be born again, to be saved, you need to hear the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You need to hear the word, to believe the word. Believe the good news of our crucified and risen Savior. But here we are reminded for people like many of us in this room who are professing believers. That you need the word to become a Christian, but you also need the word to live like a Christian. The entire Christian life of discipleship is to be a life that is shaped and governed and directed by the word. In Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, While he was teaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. To which Jesus replied in verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so we see, first of all, the ultimate priority displayed. Secondly, would you notice with me the ultimate priority hindered? The ultimate priority hindered. Verse 40 tells us what Martha was doing while Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I want to lean in to the statement there and from it lift a warning to us about the danger of spiritual distraction. Notice the power of spiritual distraction. While Mary sat, Martha served. And this was no half-hearted service. I like the language here. Luke calls it, verse 40, much serving, indicating the immensity of the task and the intensity of her labor. This small banquet was a big task, and the language is meant to indicate that Martha was giving it her all. And at that point, she is to be commended. This is the essence of Christian view of excellence. Excellence from a Christian perspective is not about showiness or sensationalism. Christian excellence is simply this. If it bears God's name, it deserves my best. So she gave herself fully to the service. The problem was Martha was distracted. It means to be dragged in different directions. This is not a statement about the service. It's a statement about Martha. It's a statement about her mental focus, her emotional state, and her spiritual disposition. I grew up in my daddy's church. My daddy's church wasn't King James only, but they only use King James, if you know what I mean. And in the King James Version, it says, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. We don't even use that terminology anymore. But it is tied to our word encumbered. It is the picture of being burdened by obtrusive responsibilities. Her service to the Lord had become a burden to her. She was in the right place doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. Mark it down, friends. Motives matter more than ministry. People may look at what you do. The Lord is always watching why you did it. Matthew 6 Verses 1 through 18, where Jesus gives instructions about giving to the needy, prayer and fasting, I think is one of the most stinging rebukes of Jesus, where in all of those instructions, he warns about doing righteous acts to be seen by people. And his judgment is this. They already have received their reward. If you do it to be seen by others when others see you, You got what you wanted. God doesn't know you anything. God is not merely looking at what you do. He's looking at why you do it. 
When you lose your why, you lose your way. Martha became distracted. And I just want to warn you, friends, it can happen to you. You can be distracted by worldly pleasures. That's what happened to Demas, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says he fell in love with the world. But that's not Martha's problem. Martha shows us that you can be distracted by worldly pleasures, but you can also be distracted amidst the diligent stewardship of legitimate responsibilities. Martha did not become distracted running the streets trying to have a good time. She did not become distracted by trying to build a personal empire in the marketplace. She was preparing a meal for Jesus. What she was doing was for Jesus. And while doing it for Jesus, she forgot the most important thing. Jesus was there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. We uh, know this chapter where... um, Paul gives instructions about marriage and instructions to the single. But he says in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's a word that we all need. We should serve the Lord without distraction. There's the power of spiritual distraction. You can be distracted from the Lord while doing work for the Lord. Notice the problem of spiritual distraction. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him. Again, feel the tension between verse 39 and verse 40. Mary sat at his feet. Martha went up to him. The translation doesn't fully express the forcefulness of the language. Martha confronted Jesus. She is not at his feet. She is in his face. Martha leaves the kitchen to set Jesus and Mary straight. Notice her resentment. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? We read Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. We see this as something beautiful. That's not how Martha saw it. She did not see spiritual devotion. She saw personal abandonment. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus was something that Mary was doing against her. And Jesus was letting her get away with it. Lord, don't you, instead of, she starts the story concerned about what she can do for Jesus. Now she is focused on what others are doing or are not doing. And in a real sense, we see simply here that our attitude toward others reveal our devotion to Jesus. 
I wish I had time to linger there. That's not a pulpit excuse for poor exposition. I don't have time to flesh that out. But just remember, friends, you can't have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church at the same time. In Luke 10, 37, Jesus again applies the parable of the Good Samaritan by telling the lawyer, go and do likewise. But now in our text, we are confronted with the fact that Christianity really, however, is not about religious activity, mercy ministry, or social justice. Our text follows the Good Samaritan to say that if you don't spend time at the feet of Jesus, letting his word shape how you think and live, you can't get along with your own sister, much less help the person on the side of the road. Lord, do you not care? Does that language sound familiar to you? It's the language of Mark 4:38. In the storm, the disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? It is the question of self-pity. It is asked when we take our eyes off of him and start focusing on secondary things. I need to move on, but please let me pause to answer Martha's question. Yes, Jesus cares. He cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, friends, whatever you are going through tonight, you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. From resentment to reproach. Lord, and I don't think that's just a polite way of saying sir here. She is acknowledging the authority of Christ. She calls him Lord and then proceeds to tell the Lord what to do. Tell her then to help me. Gave Jesus order. Tell Mary to help me. The word help here is a beautiful word. It's the word used in Romans 8.26 to describe our ultimate prayer partner, God the Holy Spirit. Paul says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. He comes alongside and takes the other side and holds up the other side in prayer for us to to lift the burden that we cannot carry on our own. Martha is not asking for Mary to do the work for her. She's asking for Mary just to do her part to assist her. And yet this is more than a request for support. It's an expression of her resentment. Whatever it is, it doesn't feel like Psalm 100 verse 2, does it? That says, serve the Lord with gladness. She has quickly gone from serving to scolding. And she speaks like she is a victim of an injustice. Mary has wronged her for not helping. And Jesus has wronged her for not making Mary help. If you're taking notes, you can jot down John chapter 21, verses 20 and 21. It's um, after the restoration of Peter. Do you love me? 
feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then Jesus predicts to him the death he would die to glorify God and says, follow me. Great passage. The next verses say, however, after this great moment with Jesus, Jesus has restored Peter. Jesus has given Peter a new assignment. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus says in verse 22, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Let me give you that out of the CIV, the Charles International Version. <laughs> what I do with him is not your business. You follow me. We see the ultimate priority displayed, the ultimate priority hindered. Would you consider with me the ultimate priority affirmed? So the text begins with Mary's display of devotion. It progresses to Martha's distraction and confrontation with Jesus. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus has the last word. Before we consider what he says, just note what he does not say. He does not tell Mary to get up and he does not tell Martha to sit down. He just analyzes the scene that caused the drama. He corrects Martha's distraction. Martha, Martha, and of course, when Jesus calls the name twice like this, it is a word of warning spoken from a heart of love. Here we see the compassion of Jesus. He was not angry with Martha, but he was concerned about her. John 11, verse 5, explicitly says, Jesus loved Martha. Because he loved her, he warned her that she was anxious and troubled. You do know it's bad enough to be anxious or troubled. Martha was both. Her mind was anxious with care. Her heart was troubled with pressure. Let me pause. Are you anxious tonight? Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says to you, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is my favorite passage on prayer. Many of the commands of prayer come with the promise to prayer. I believe in divine intervention. God can change things. But in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it doesn't promise that he will change the circumstances. It says he'll do something in you, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Are you troubled tonight? Jesus says, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You are anxious and troubled by many things, but one 
everything is needful. Some commentators suggest that this is a statement about the meal. As if Jesus is saying, all you needed to make was a casserole, not a banquet. But the one thing is needed is the thing that Mary chose. The one needful thing is that which Mary chose. A.T. Robinson succinctly comments here. The best dish on the table is fellowship with Jesus. I've retold this story to ask you tonight in the beginning night of this One Ambition Conference. I just lift this passage to ask you tonight, are you a one thing person? Are you a one thing person? David was. Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Are you a one thing person? The blind man was. Jesus in John 9 healed a man who was born blind and he is praising God, thanking Jesus for the healing. And the religious leader said, no, 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 no. Do not give him praise. He's a sinner. You remember what the blind man said? I'm not getting into those theological debates with y'all, John 9, 25. If he's a sinner or not, I don't know all that. But one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Are you a one thing person? Paul was. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have attained it yet, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for what lies ahead, I press toward the mark for the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus corrects Martha's distraction, then Jesus commends Mary's devotion. Verse 42 Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There are many who read this text as descriptions of the different personality types in the church. There are Mary-like people and there are Martha-like people. And the argument is that every church needs some Marthas and some Marys. Or further, the argument is that that the, the Christian needs to learn how to balance Mary and Martha in their life. You got to learn how to be in the kitchen and sit at his feet. That is not what Jesus says here. He's not trying to tell us to balance anything. He lays the acts of the two women side by side and says, Mary chose the good portion. 
The good portion is the one thing. He says, Mary shows it. As we begin this new year, friends, let me just remind you that devotion to Jesus does not happen accidentally or automatically. You got to choose it. If not, you can be in church for years and remain stunted in your spiritual growth. And there are carnal churches filled with long-standing people who have professed Christianity and claim 25 years of experience when in reality they only have one year of experience repeated 25 years because they haven't chosen the good portion. He calls it the good portion. Sitting at my feet to hear my word is the good thing. Portion here refers to property or possession. (laughs) Here's the reminder tonight, friends. Choose Jesus over things. C.S. Lewis said it well, that he who has God and other things has no more than the one who has God alone. If you have other things tonight, praise God. But don't hold tight to those other things. Those other things cannot save, will not last, do not satisfy. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Who have I in heaven but you? What on earth is desirable except you? My strength and my heart may fail, but Lord, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's my portion forever. This is the commendation of Mary. She has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And that means more than Jesus merely saying, I'm not going to make her get up and help. He is saying she has chosen that which truly lasts. And that's the key tonight, friends, to understanding the economy of Scripture. The economic system, what's valuable in Scripture, can be defined and distinguished in very simple terms. If you want to know the economy of Scripture, it is simply this. What lasts the longest is worth the most. What lasts the longest is worth the most. Do not love the world or the things that are in this world. For the things that are of this world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions are of the world and are not of the Father. And the things of this world are passing away along with the desires, verse 17, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Matthew 6. 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your what? Treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't get the order of that wrong. Your heart follows what you treasure. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You may build great cathedrals, large or small. You may build skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all 
the failures of your past, but only what you do for Christ will last. You may seek earthly fortune and fame. The world might be impressed by your great name. But soon the glories of this life will all be past. And only what you do for Christ will last. Though your armies may cover every hemisphere and your exploits out in space cause men to cheer, your scientific knowledge may be vast, but only what you do for Christ will last. Last verse of that song says, Though your songs and prayers may be heard and praised by men, it all has no meaning unless you've been born again. Sinner, hear these words. Don't let this harvest pass. Only what you do for Christ will last. The refrain says, only what you do for him will be counted in the end. Only what you do for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this time together this evening and for all that you have in store for us over the course of this weekend. Have mercy on us, Father, because our hearts are prone to be preoccupied and distracted and overwhelmed by the secondary things of this life that do not last. Teach us to prioritize devotion to Jesus over everything else. To the praise of your glory. Amen.